great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Our journey so far up to this point in the last four weeks have taken us about a year and a half worth of time. From the moment when Zechariah and Elizabeth found out that they were going to have a child, to six months later when Mary heard from the angel Gabriel and heard that she was going to have a child, to the point of uh, them, God using the government, really, to, uh, to bring them to the town of Bethlehem, in order for the Christ child to be born, Jesus has been born. And uh, so that's about nine months after Mary heard, of course. And that's about a year and a half. And, and there's really one more piece of the Christmas history that, that we need to talk about. Uh, among other things, Pastor Ty has been, uh, has been giving us some uh, other voices of, of the Christmas story. Uh, I believe last week was Simeon. Um, this week he's going to give us a perspective of Herod, um, so I won't be talking a lot about him in the Second Look video. So they've been kind of um, dealing with characters of the, the Christmas story that we haven't been talking about here on Sunday mornings. And I realized over the last four weeks, especially the last week, that, that I've never preached a sermon on the Magi. Um, I looked back to see if, you know, if maybe I could take a little bit of the pressure off this week, having several days off, and, you know, if there was some material that I could grab. And, and there wasn't. There wasn't any. In the, in the five years that, that I've been here as your, your lead pastor, I've never preached a sermon on the Magi. Um, of course, we talk about them. Um, we talk about them as a part. You see them uh, represented in, in nativity scenes. We, we sing songs. We sang a, a hymn, a Christmas carol about them this morning. Uh, but we're going to look at the, the, the Magi this morning from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, in, in the opening scene of the ABC news documentary, The Search for Jesus, um, it begins with a voiceover from celebrated TV reporter Peter Jennings. He's reading the Christmas story out of Luke against the backdrop of a Middle Eastern man carving the face of Jesus into a block of wood. As the man finishes and sets the carving down, and as Jennings finishes the scripture, the camera focuses on Jennings standing in a garden to introduce the documentary. His opening lines highlight the interest that even the secular media has in Jesus. Hello, I'm Peter Jennings, and we have been searching for Jesus, as reporters, that is, because it's an irresistible story. And whatever your faith or religion, there's simply no denying 
the extraordinary influence that Jesus has had, that he does have in people's lives. And it's amazing to me that even Peter Jennings, someone who I think as uh, about being about as far left as, as possible, um, who wouldn't even be interested, does a report and is thinking uh, about Jesus Christ. And I tried to find this documentary on Netflix. It wasn't there, so I've not actually watched it. Um, I don't know where they go and what conclusions they draw. But as Jennings states, the search for Jesus, it's, it's, it's a search that's worth a genuine look. And, and again, as I said last week, if you are someone who's here or listening online who, who you're still in that search mode, what, what I want you to know is there are men in the account that we look at today who were as well in search mode. The Magi from the East. Now, these men were likely Babylonian. Um, they came hundreds, if not thousands, probably a thousand miles or more in search of the Messiah. They were very learned. They were smart. They were educated. They weren't actual kings. They were more like scientists. Uh, in pagan nations, there were many that studied the sciences. Um, this study included astronomy, the black arts, divination, sorcery, and a great deal of superstition. Uh, other English translations refer to them as scholars. You, your translation may refer to them as scholars. Some have even called them astrologers. Um, they were probably fairly powerful in, in their nation and respected in their country of origin. Now, it wasn't unusual for these types of men to travel and visit other nations and other countries and study their cultures and their people. And in their travels, as we see in the story, they actually visit two kings on this trip. The first king they visited was Herod. The second king, of course, was Jesus. To one king, they paid their proper respects. To the other king, their complete adoration, which is a surprise to me. So the first question that I want to answer this morning is, why did they come? Why did they come? Well, I think the simple answer is they were in search of truth. They were in search of truth, which... Isn't that the case of most people? I mean, don't you know people who, who they're, they're genuinely looking in life to find out what it means, what, what their part in it is, and, and do they have any significance? And, and, and they are searching for truth. I mean, you might be here today. I, I hope that you are. You're here today because you are searching for truth. You want to understand truth. You want to know truth. Uh, maybe for some of you, you're here in search of that truth because, because you have a hole in your life. There's an emptiness that you have, a loneliness, or, or you get a sense that there's something missing and, and all the other things that you've tried to fill it with have failed. And so you're trying to come and find out if there's some truth here that could fill what's missing in your life. Other questions that we might ask of these men are where, where did they hear about the coming Messiah? You know, why were they looking for this sign in the first place? Um, and, and did they see, did they just see it in the stars? Did, did, they, have, did they have an astrological end to this special knowledge about this coming Messiah? And well, I, I conclude that they didn't see anything that wasn't revealed to them by God. What they saw was given to them by God Himself so that they would see. 
um, and, and more likely sources of their information about the Messiah in general as far as prophecy are concerned uh, would have been uh, would have come into their country hundreds of years before. If you think about them in the in the East, in the Babylonian and Persian civilizations and nations, there was a group, a small group of people that were carried off into bondage and into slavery in those nations. And who were those people? They were Jews. They were Israelites. And a couple of those men specifically, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they spent large amounts of time in Babylon, in this part of the world. And they had with them all of their scrolls and their knowledge and their wisdom and their faith. And, and as you think about their experiences there and their run-ins with Nebuchad- King Nebuchadnezzar and the decisions that he made, we see that there was, there was a rise, there was a, a knowledge, a general knowledge of the Old Testament even in the nation of pagans. And these men probably knew what those were and what they said. Um, there is a, there's a small verse in the book of Numbers, and I didn't get the reference for us today, um, but if you were to go home and you were to look up um, Star, you would find it. It's possible that, that they got this indication that there was going to be some star um, sign that the Messiah was going to come from that prophecy or that verse in the book of Numbers. Look, if you haven't turned there, turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'm sure you have already. Matthew chapter 2, let's read verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. They saw a new star. They saw something that they hadn't seen before. It was rising in the east. It was a sign that something amazing was going to happen in Palestine. Where the prophecies had pointed that they had read, the Old Testament books that they had read pointed to a Savior's birth. So, so this is what they did. They saw it. They saw the indication. They saw the sign. And so they, I'm, I'm not sure how long it took them to get ready to go, but they headed out to follow this sign and see if it were in fact true of what it was pointing to. They traveled from afar, and when they arrived, they inquired in Jerusalem. And it's surprising, well, it's not so surprising, I guess, that most of those in the city of Jerusalem weren't aware of what was going on or what had happened. Uh, They didn't initially right away say, oh, well, that's just down the road a couple miles in, in the suburb of Bethlehem. That's where you need to go. Um, they, they flat didn't know. Um, they seemed to have no idea that, that the moment in history was upon them, that, that it had happened. That the Messiah, who they had been long awaiting, had already arrived. In fact, many Jews today, not all, but many, are still waiting. They're still waiting for Him to come. They don't believe that He has come already. And they have truly missed it. And may that not be true of us. May we continue to search um, for, for our whole lives for truth. Searching 
initially for a saving knowledge and a belief in Jesus as our Savior and the searching for truth and understanding unto righteousness as we live our daily lives as fellow servants and followers of Jesus. Now, there were other men in the Old Testament who had had run-ins with wise men, with scholars of these pagan nations. Joseph met wise men in Egypt. Moses contended with wise men when he worked to get his people freed from Pharaoh. Esther encountered these scientists in her clash in the Persian Empire. Old Testament prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they as well encountered Magi. Magi are well known in the land of Israel, so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that they are a part of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come just for Israel, did He? We know that He came for all even pagans from the East. You know, I think everyone recognizes that emptiness in their lives. I think these men probably did. You know, that, that, that missing thing, that whatever it is that, that somehow we think we need to be completed by. Um, early on, I think, in our life as young middle schoolers and high schoolers, I think we think that it's a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. We think that is what's going to fulfill us. That will fill the, the emptiness and the gap that, that, that is in my life. And, and those of us who are married know that that, that that falls short. It doesn't fill that. It, it, it certainly fills some, but it doesn't fill the greater emptiness that we have, that, that hole in our life that that is there because of the fall of man. Some people may succeed at temporarily fooling themselves with a fix of some kind, but it will once again resurface. It will come back. Whether it's in the form of a midlife crisis or loneliness or a lack of significance in life, really that hole that can only be filled, as Pastor Ty said, by one thing, and that's Jesus. I, I believe these men came in search of truth. So let's take a look at what happened upon their arrival. Uh, when they arrived in Jerusalem, verse 2, they, they asked this question, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, Herod thought himself to be the king of the Jews. He this self-proclaimed, obviously. But, but he saw himself as the king of the Jews. So Herod was immediately nervous, wondering, what, what could this mean for me? You see, kings, kings oftentimes would turn to, to the scientists, to the wise men in their courts, to tell them the future. And, and they would take what they say seriously. You know, we have seen prophets in the Old Testament who made proclamations to kings and they immediately, some of them came true. This is going to happen to you. Of course, they were speaking for God. They weren't just speaking for themselves or for some demonic presence. But Herod was nervous. Um, secular kings and even misguided Israelite kings were very superstitious. I mean... One king literally saw the handwriting on the wall, right? I mean, they were very, very superstitious. 
So King Herod looks to his wise men and their star watchers for truth. In fact, I would say that kings probably would have read their horoscope in their daily newspapers religiously and would have believed exactly what it said and, and, and tried to live their life by it. So when these star watchers from the east showed up on Herod's doorstep, Herod took special interest in what they had to say. And when the mention of a new king was made, he immediately became suspicious and nervous and he began to inquire. So he double-checked with the chief priests and the teachers of the law in Jerusalem and his wise men, these Jewish scholars. He asked them this question, are these Easterners right? Is there any truth to this, to what they're saying? And in verse 4 we see, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote Micah 5.2. Verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And these magi had seen the special star in the east. It appeared and they got everything ready. They took off on their adventure. They headed to Jerusalem. They stopped by the palace to inquire of where this new king would be from. Fairly naive, I think. Um, It's interesting. They're asking the local reigning king where the new guy is. You know? Uh, It says in verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may, so that I too may go and worship him. Wow. Herod went from disturbed to worshipful in a course of a day or so, however long they were there. I highly doubt that. And I'm not sure if they sensed it as well. But Herod takes some devious steps. And first of all, he finds out when the star first appeared. Now, why do you think that would be significant? Why would Herod need to find out when the star first appeared? If the star was a sign that the child had been born, and he knew when the star had shown itself first, he could probably extrapolate how old this child is now. This is part of his devious plan that he has. He tries to solicit the help of these travelers to determine where the child is. Go and find him, and when you do, come back and report to me. Because then I'm going to kill, I mean, worship him. Right? So they head out again, and they see the star again. Uh, my, my thought is that they see the sign, they see the star, they know that it's happened, so they head out and they go to Jerusalem. And then when they're there, then God gives them the star once again. And in this case, it, it has to be, I mean, low to the ground, right? If it's a star like we know stars, there's no way that you could, that you could stand under that star and know the place where the child was in a town the size of even Lingle, which is probably about how big Bethlehem was. So it's a miraculous sign that God gives the Magi. And Matthew says the star led them to the house where Mary and Jesus were staying. Look at verse 9. After they had heard the king, 
they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. God led them in their search to the place where Jesus was. Now Jesus, at this time, is over a year old, Contrary to the song, We Three Kings, and practically every nativity scene on the planet, where we see the wise men viewing the child in a manger, not likely, not likely, but they are a part of the Christmas story. And so, you know, everybody has attempted to, to take, you know, a year and a half's worth of story and condense it into one nativity scene. And as far as the number of wise men or magi, we sang about it, we three kings. It doesn't say that either. Um, there is, you know, they, they get that from the fact that there were three gifts. And to be honest, you know, we three kings, or we, we the unknown number of kings of Orientar, it just doesn't fit well in a song, right? I mean, they, they had to, they used three because it fits in the song. But they come bearing gifts, and Jesus is described right here in verse 9, not as a baby, but as a child, residing in a house, not a stable. Add that to the fact that Herod later has all the children to and under killed to try and snuff the life of Jesus out leads me to believe that it's between one and two it's that Jesus is between one and two years old at this time. So then, the Magi enter the house. Verse 11, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So now, um, I'd like to look at their response. We've, we've really looked at the response of every character through the course of this sermon series. And I want to look at the response of the Magi on coming to the house. Verse 11, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They saw. They saw the king of the Jews. The one that Daniel scrolls had spoken of. Now again, we, we have to remember that these are, are pagans. The, these are, are Scientologists. These, these are wise men from another co uh, country and another culture. Which to me, makes their response when they find him surprising because verse 11 goes on and it says that they bowed down and they worshipped him. They worshipped. They worshipped. And that's amazing to me. In their, I'm sure they had a conversation with Mary and maybe Joseph, although he's not mentioned here. They probably heard the stories of the events of the past couple years. The angel Gabriel bringing the initial news, the trip to Bethlehem, the shepherds and their stories. The trip to Jerusalem to have Jesus dedicated in the temple. Simeon's words, God's promise to him. And they worshipped. Men from another culture, from another I suppose, religious backgrounds, although highly influenced by Jewish culture. 
they bow down and they worship Him. Neil Martin, Neil Martin, a member of the British Parliament, was once giving a group of his constituents a guided tour of the House of Parliament. During the course of the visit, the group happened to meet Lord Hailsham, then Lord Chancellor, wearing all the regalia of his office. Now, Hailsham recognized Martin among the group when he was a ways off, and he cried out and he said, Neil! You know, like you would if somebody you knew him in a crowd. And immediately, not daring to question or disobey this command that this man gave, the entire group of people promptly fell to their knees. Kneeling, right? Well, at this young age, Jesus didn't command their worship. In fact, does He ever command our worship? People just do. People just worship. Why? Why does He not? Herod had to command people to worship Him and to obey Him and to follow Him. Many people in our culture... Um, anybody in a, in a place of authority over other people, at times it seems like they have to command it in some way, shape, or form. Did, does Jesus ever commanded us, forced us to worship Him? But do people? Yes, they do. Why? Because He's worthy. Because He's worthy. He's God the Creator and Savior of all that we know. And then it says, they opened their treasures and presented Him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. They gave Him gifts. They saw, they worshipped, they gave. And then they obeyed God. They obeyed God. See, Herod wanted them to come back through with a report so he could you know, worship this new king. But God made sure that that didn't happen. And how did God do that? He, uh, he, he came to them in a dream. He warned them, verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, their lives have been changed. They, their lives have been changed. Um, they have met God face to face. And, and now they are doing as God says. They worshipped. I'd say that they believed or they wouldn't have bowed. Which brings us to our final point, point of the morning, and that's this. What is our response? What is our response? What is your response to the Savior? You know, as, as we have journey through the historical events of the account of Jesus and we have, we have seen person after person worship. People even put in precarious positions like Mary. People who have been disciplined like Zechariah for his lack of faith. In the end, after nine months of silence and being mute, what did he do? He worshipped. Why? Because God is worthy of His worship. And He was seeing it. What, what are you seeing in your life? How are you seeing God work in your life? Mary struggled with her situation and her circumstances, I'm sure, but yet resigned herself to the fact that she is God's servant and 
may it be as he has said. And look how it turned out. Uh, Unbelievable how it turned out. What is your response? Because Jesus is the Savior of us all. Priests, wives, shepherds, young girls, known people, unknown people. People like the Magi who we can really just speculate about a lot of things about. Their, you know, tradition says, tradition has given us their names and, and what, what not. People at the top of the social ladder, people at the bottom. Smelly shepherds. Sweet young girls pledged to be married. Jesus came to save all of us. Won't you respond in faith to Him? Won't you believe that He is who He said He was? That He came? That He really came? Some would say that it doesn't matter if the events in the Bible really happened. It's just the whole idea of it. No, it really matters if the events in the Bible really happened or not. And they did. It's not, it's not a, an idea or a philosophy. It's truth. It's real. And unless we submit our lives to this truth completely, all areas of our life, you know, we, we kind of think that we can, we can sort of slip in one part of our life under, under the radar and we can do what we want with that part and things will be okay, but... But we need to give it all up to Him. We need to bow before Him as these kings did. As these magi did, sorry. Let's respond in faith. Let's respond with those six simple words. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And I know Nathan mentioned it. Let's celebrate the coming of our Savior all year long, not just at Christmas. From a pastor, the boxes of Christmas decorations were carried up from the basement. How many of us have been there? Except I have to carry mine in from the shed out back of the house. I had to go to church, so the serious work of Christmasizing our home would have to wait until I returned. In the meantime, our five-year-old daughter, Lauren, was content to play with a miniature plastic nativity set we keep in an old lifesaver's tin. When I arrived home, I was greeted by my wife, Wendy, and the inviting aroma of dinner. Stealing a peek at the table, I saw that Lauren had placed pieces of the nativity set at each person's plate. Apparently, shepherds, wise men, cows, and sheep would be joining us for dinner. Very sweet. Just then, Lauren raced into the kitchen. Oh, Daddy, Daddy! Her voice was panicked. Jesus is missing! We've looked everywhere and can't find Him. She was right. As I glanced at the supper table, I didn't see baby Jesus anywhere. We'll find Him, I said, sure that He was stuck under the couch cushions or behind a chair somewhere. Let's look after we eat. And look, we did. Low and high, high and low. Under the couch, in the plants, in the Barbie playhouse. We scoured Lauren's coloring desk, cluttered with stickers, markers, crayons, and a full, half-full can of pop. Everything but Jesus. 
as my compulsive find-whatever-is-lost-at-any-cost neurosis kicked into high gear, I zeroed in on Lauren's backpack. Much like her older sisters, Lauren carries her backpack everywhere she goes. In it, she transports her treasures, hair bows, hats, Barbies, her stuffed kitty, her Polly Pockets, her plastic wallet, gummy bears. I decided to look in the backpack, and there at the bottom of her treasure trove was Jesus. Here he is, I proudly announced. Jesus was in your backpack ready to go with you to preschool tomorrow. Now, as we think about this search for the MIA Jesus, I hope that we recognize that he wasn't missing in action at all. He was in the middle of the action. His place in Lauren's backpack was divinely appropriate. There in the midst of all the symbols of her interests and activities was the Lord of life. And that, ra- and that reality extends beyond five-year-old girls. So as we face a new year crammed with commitments, each of us can begin the year confident that Jesus is right in the middle of it all. As much as it drives us crazy not to have the Jesus peace in its proper place in the nativity or at the dinner table, he belongs in our minivans, in our briefcases, in our purses, in our gym bags, in our suitcases and our checkbooks. God's uncontainable love for His creation spilled over into a manger, a carpenter shop, a fishing boat, a tax collector's home, a Roman execution scene, a rich man's grave, and an upper room. The good news of Christmas that catapults us toward Easter and beyond is that we are not alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The the one who made us has come to us and remains with us in all that we attempt. Glory to God in the highest. So as we think about the events in history of Jesus coming as he did, my hope and my prayer is that as we extend forward from that time in history to our own spaces in the timeline of history, that we would recognize He is as active and present in this part of the timeline as He was in that one. And that we will all believe and that we will all submit. And as we do, maybe not... um, The year 2014 may not look like we think it should, Or it may not even look like when we get to the end next year. It may not even look like we had hoped it would. But as we bow and present our gifts as the Magi did, it will look as He wants it to look. And as I sit and as I read the Bible, that's the best way for it to look of all the options. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Oh, Lord, glory to God in the highest. Father, we worship you. I thank you for 
your gift of life, your gift of abundant life, even in the midst of struggles, things I don't understand. I know that I can trust you and that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And Father, I pray that as we see the lives of the Magi changed before the face of the Christ child, I pray that in this coming year we would be able to recognize those changes in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own families, in our own relationships. And Lord, I pray that we would submit all to You. Not just what we're willing to give up, Lord, but I pray that we would give it all up. Glory to God in the highest. In Jesus' name.